ਹੈਲੋ ਵਾਹਿਗੁਰੂ ਜੀ ਕਾ ਖਾਲਸਾ ਵਾਹਿਗੁਰੂ ਜੀ ਕੀ ਫਤਿਹ ਵਾਹਿਗੁਰੂ ਖਾਲਸਾ ਵਾਹਿਗੁਰੂ ਜੀ ਕੈਨ ਯੂ ਹੀਅਰ ਮੀ ਕਲੀਅਰਲੀ ਯੈਸ ਆਈ ਕੈਨ ਹੀਅਰ ਯੂ ਕਲੀਅਰਲੀ ਕੈਨ ਯੂ ਹੀਅਰ ਮੀ ਕਲੀਅਰਲੀ ਯੈ ਯੈਪ ਆ ਕੈਨ ਸਵੀਟ ਸੋ ਵੈਲਕਮ ਟੂ ਦਾ ਫਰਸਟ ਪੋਡਕਾਸਟ ਆਫ ਦਾ ਸੀਕ ਰੈਨੈਸੈਂਸ ਵੀ ਵਿਲ ਬੀ ਡਿਸਕਸਿੰਗ ਦਾ ਰੋਲ ਆਫ ਸਿਕੀ ਇਨ ਸਾਇੰਸ ਆ ਕੁਆਇਟ ਅ ਪੋਟੈਂਟ ਰਿਲੇਸ਼ਨਸ਼ਿਪ ਆ ਗੈਸ ਯੂ ਕੈਨ ਸੇ ਐਸੈਂਸ਼ੀਅਲੀ ਟੂਡੇ ਇਨ ਅ ਏਰਾ ਵੇਰ ਆਮ ਆ ਗੈਸ ਵਿਦ ਦਾ ਕਰੋਨਾ ਵਾਇਰਸ ਪੀਪਲ ਆ ਸੀਰੀਅਸਲੀ ਕੁਐਸਚਨਿੰਗ ਬੋਥ the effect of science and at the same time the role of religion in all this uh, quagmire we seem to be facing today essentially it's going back to the age old question is science more supreme than religion or is religion more supreme than science so let's just uh, today we'll just focus on this question and put forward what we think and how everything goes so i guess from a very impartial point of view how would you say that science is viewed in sikhi like what do you say it's a tool or is it something else altogether what is science from a sikh's perspective well uh there are two views on this uh, the first one is how it has been delivered to us yes and second is what it should be well according to my own beliefs yeah 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 sure okay uh, so in our society the way it is today and the way it has been for the past 150 or 190 200 years since the ranjit singh era yes the sole focus on has been on the afterlife yep so you, you can probably probably heard your elders say othe amara de hon gane vede ke nu zara yaad puchni that famous durga rangila song <laughs> eh for So you're not uh, actually focusing on using science to make this world a better place to live in. Yes, you're focusing on something else altogether. Yep. And, and the way it should be because uh, our guru is Gyan, yeah. Well, this has been repeated multiple times in Gurbani. Yes. I haven't read much Gurbani because I never had the time to. Yes. Because uh, young fellows well, usually don't, they're more focused on their life and career and whatever, yeah? Yes. <laughs> and... Uh, but that's my understanding what whatever's happening around us that's part of science it should be part of sikhi because that's yeah. also gyan and i guess this also brings us back to quite a loaded question i guess is that if you look at the uh, atmosphere the hemisphere in which sikhi was born the religious i guess the way we would say it the religious environment at the time the world was essentially treated as being false it was just a stepping stone towards another more permanent afterlife or a state of sleep or some salvation like moksha but when guru nanak came along he redefined it so where's initially taram what we call you know what we miscategorize as meaning religion taram essentially meant in the pre-sikhiera it was defined by the bhagavad gita as a codified set of ethics for different classes and different societies different castes and these were essentially based on rituals and practices which were basically uh, said to be divinely sanctioned by god for different strata of people guru nanak brought forward the concept that no no taram actually is a universal uh, code of ethics a universal practice which is pretty much uh which can be said to be uh able to be utilized by people across all varieties of religions and belief systems and races pretty much all of humanity can come under taram can practice taram and this taram is not divided into subcategories taram essentially is integrating with hukam the divine laws 
and the divine law can essentially be uh, kept, uh, defined by the fact that uh, the God who made this creation, his attributes are imminent in the creation. And by studying those attributes, we can make ourselves that God's uh, partners in furthering creation. So I guess the focus became from another world to this present world that, you know, essentially we are to live in this world. We are to be householders in this world. Uh, the way I see it is that, you know, we are to live in Sansar. But the problem is where people start saying that, no, 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 this can't be true. So that's where it essentially becomes a matter of saying we live in Sansar, but we cannot pursue Sansari Gyan, essentially science, because this uh, conflicts with religion. But no one so far has defined how it conflicts with religion, if you know what I mean. Essentially, you would have seen it all the time in India. Well, uh, in a clear perspective, you could say that uh, if you believe in science, you have to be an atheist. To the conventional God, pretty much. Like, uh, I guess this brings another question foremost, which I have been thinking about recently and which I guess every religious person or every scientist will confront this question. Essentially, religion basically says or conventional religiosity that there is a God who is capable of performing the supernatural. Now, the supernatural is defined by scriptures as being something out of the ordinary, something extraordinary, which God rarely does. Now, people who go off these scriptures, they will say, well, wait a second, the supernatural is a part and parcel of God's, you know, uh, divine plan for the world. Now, this brings another uh, issue to the foremost, which is that if the supernatural, which is above science, is part and parcel of God's divine plan for this world, pretty much. So how is it that a scripture which is said to be revealed by God who can do supernatural miracles, so how is it that that same scripture revealed by that same God attests to the fact that, wait a second, this is out of the ordinary? And when you come to that, then you really need to ask yourself that God is immortal, his works are immortal, so why can't his miracles transcend time and space? Why are they bound by time and space? That's actually a very interesting point because if you if you read the Abrahamic faiths, yep. what, whatever happened has happened in a very small geographical area over there. Yes. So we can actually ask that uh, the continents of North America, South America, Australia, New Zealand, all these lands existed. But your religious texts are just confined to a very small geographical area in which you lived. Yes, and I guess that can be said as well about, you know, for example, there are many Sikhs who say that, you know, there's, there are things as miracles. And that, that this is not saying that their belief, you know, from their perspective might be wrong. But when we essentially look at it impartially, that's the same question we need to confront. That how is it that we are talking about a perfect God who transcends time and space, but the supernatural acts of his, they don't seem to transcend time and space, you know, like they, if there is a principle here that there is free will then free will is also based on incentivizing something you know that i have the incentive to choose this way or that way ultimately that's my choice that's my free will but i need an incentive to choose one of the two uh, opposite you know um choices or you know alternatives so how is it that god like if he is a miracle worker how is it that god cannot provide that strong choice by performing a miracle which is not bound by time which is not bound by space 
there is a one sentence answer for your question. God mo- works in mysterious ways. <laughs> and that exactly brings us back to the same point again, I guess. And at the end of the day, speaking impartially, God does. Well, okay, if they do say that God works in mysterious ways, one really needs to understand why God seems to be working in mysterious ways if he's actually saying, well, wait a second, I have created humans. I want humans to be close to me. Yes, there are some things they can't understand about me, but when it really comes to us trying to define our own logic, our own faith, suddenly it becomes God works in mysterious ways. We don't understand it. You don't understand it. But hey, what the hell? Just believe what we are saying. Take it at face value. Yeah, <clears throat> you are encouraged to live in Rabadi Raza. Yep, which again, at the end of the day, if you see Rabadi Raza from another perspective, Rabdi Raja becomes like, for example, let's just take a society where, you know, there is a multi-tariff system, there is a hierarchy, there is a pecking order. The guy at the bottom is mistreated every day of his life. Let's take Bhakt Ravidas, for example. You know, he would have been mistreated every day of his life. He would have been told this is Rabdi Raja. But he rebelled against it and he actually managed to create an environment which was really different from what people said was Rabdi Raja. He said, well, wait a second, this to me is Rabdi Raja. So even Rabdi Raja seems to be differing over time and space, you know, there is a conventional perspective. And then there's a perspective provided by the likes of Bhakt Ravidas and Guru Nanak Dev, which is very, very, very different. For me, the, the very interesting point is because if we look at the so-called prophets, or whenever they were chosen or whenever they were visited by an angel of God or whatever. Yes. Uh, there's a certain shift in their lifestyle. Yes, yes. So it doesn't matter how, how much time it took for them to receive the message or whatever. Yes. They say, okay, now I'm the messenger of God. Now it's my duty to lead other people, yeah? Yes, but, yes. But in our case, Father Ravidas, is, he is preaching Bani. At the very same time, he continues to work as a cobbler. Yes. yes. Go around the world, but continues to farm himself. Yep. So basically, he lets his teachings, his work, do the talking for him rather than promoting exactly. himself or something. Yeah. Also, uh, this point plays in the table that we are just mortal human beings, just like you and I. We yep. are just trying to understand this world around us. Yes. We haven't dropped from heaven. Yep. We we were both not born in an unnatural way. We are just like you. Yep. But we are different from what we have done, from what we have achieved. We are different from our karam. Yes. Yes, definitely. And that's actually quite a potent I guess if you look at it the way I'm saying that's quite a potent issue because if we go back to Gurbani, in a time where everyone was believing in miracles and, you know, the supernatural, like we have all heard the tale of Guru Gobind Singh Ji, the Brahmins came to manifest Devi, Guruji was sitting on the mountain. Uh, of course, later authors like Gesar Singh Shibar and, you know, Kavi Santok Singh misinterpreted that incident and said that, you know, Devi actually manifested. What we have on contemporary accounts is that the Guru got up and he pretty much through the Brahmins, you know, all the combustible material around them into the fire. And the fire obviously increased in velocity, it increased in heat. There was, we can say, a mini explosion of sorts. And at that time, the Guru pretty much showed the Sikhs, well, wait a second, these guys are just using 
what we would today call chemical reactions to fool you guys who think it's a miracle, you know. And essentially, that brings us back to a point which is uh, found in Ang 1089 of the Guru Granth Sahib. It's uh, Shabad Bhai Guru Amar Das Ji. Kago Hansnao Jilevich pretty much means that black crows do not become white crows. Uh, you cannot float across a river on a boat of iron. Essentially, the Gyanni, the seeker, the real person, the real man in the term that he's a vacant man or a woman, the status of a Sikh is that they use Gyan to build a boat out of timber and then transport their iron across. Now, while it pretty much uh, draws upon familiar scenes in Punjab and contemporary Punjab at the time, the real lesson for us is that there is no such thing as a supernatural retort at the end of the day which will save us. God has given us a portion of his intelligence and that very same intelligence we need to use to work in God's world. I do remember a few years ago that I had, uh, I think it was, it was some, some sort of like an uh, open air debate in, in some university campus. Yep. And uh, the host was you now just introduced the, the speakers and the, there was one important point that they made that no religious texts, no, no exceptions, gives us any scientific formula. There is mm. nothing revealed by the God. Okay, hey, that's the cure for cancer. Mm-hmm. Or if you're looking for the area of a square, this is the area of a square. Mm-hmm. If you're looking for some quantum physics ideas or formulas, there they are. Mm-hmm. The religious texts only answer the, the very basic questions that human beings have already had since thousands of years. Who are we? Where do we come from? What happens when we die? Mm-hmm. Some very, very basic questions. So in this particular context, science does not even enter the scenario no no it doesn't and it, it's I only guess if... the so-called european renaissance when people started to think for themselves and then now the, as a direct result of that the, the industrial revolution came and people were now more occupied by by this world you know the life the life wasn't miserable anymore comparatively yep so you had a less of an incentive to think about the afterlife and more of an incentive to improve the one you, you were living. Yep. And I guess if you remember, I mean, six, seven years back, we we pretty much were the generation which, I mean, who are in our mid to late 20s. We were the ones who were, you know, pioneering the usage of Facebook. And I remember when Facebook came out just around that time, there were many videos during the rounds. We don't know which Pracharik started it. It usually became they would be sitting on stage you know they would get the crowd in that sort of mood where everyone was you know devotional had tears in their eyes uh they were just focused on the stage like you know baba nanak is going to step out of the guru kansad anytime now he's gonna jump out and he's gonna say to the crowd you're all blessed you're my sikhs you know so the environment the atmosphere down there is totally religious and i guess you can say in such a passionate atmosphere people will accept anything which is related to them their senses are pretty much numbed and um these uh people on stage the people speaking they would say uh we learned that when we or we learned when we went to the usa that nasa you know the people who go to space and all that they have uh let me i usually varied from individual to individual some would say a three-story building some would say a 10-story building 
and right on top of that building they have a library and in the middle of that library they have a very unique lighting system someone switches a button all this all these lights come on they have the scriptures of the world on their shelf but right in the middle they have prakash of guru granth sahib and the scientists go down there do matha tek then the astronauts come along and they sit down and they they find they find scientific findings from within the guru granth sahib now while no one at that time questioned this i guess the when this myth was finally exposed as being a myth because you know nasa being nasa they reacted quite rapidly to dispel these concerns and some of our people had actually started believing this myth to the extent they were actually demanding to probe how nasa had done the prakash whether it was you know with full ijat the full rehat maryada and you know the works but essentially what happened was that i remember at the time this myth was doing the rounds and there was a american or a canadian tv show and the guy on there was a professor now i can't remember the professor's name he was a secretary professor and the reporter asked him that you know this myth has been exposed what would you like to say and he said well pretty much if all these scientific advances are in the guru granth sahib how is it that the sikhs have never been able to lead the world in you know scientific development well this is a question that we need to ask ourselves daily yep and that pretty much at that time when they like there were lots of people ringing in on the show and abusing the professor but he said something which was which at that time i found pretty i guess i was from that mentality as well as dismissing him straight away saying oh no this guy's an idiot he doesn't know but he pretty much said that the guru granth sahib opens your brain guru granth sahib says mat vich ratan jawahar manik je ek gur ki sik suni that in your mat your intelligence there are countless diamonds if only you listen to the guru and utilize your brain it doesn't say that everything the brain will find has been predicted in gurbani it frees you to make those findings yourself and you know alter your world for the better it doesn't say that this is how you can build a plane or this is how you build a steam train or this is what happens in black holes no you have to discover that yourself and yeah. that's that and that that liberates us you know that frees us it it does and uh, in in my in my understanding your teacher it could be a guru it could be your parent could be your school teacher they can put you on the track but you have to walk the path yes you you have to walk the path yeah and continuing from the example you gave that uh, there's prakash over when said that the seventh or fifth story of the nasa building yes i'd like to give you another example yes have you heard about neil armstrong converting to islam yes yes we have we have heard those myths all the time that so and so has converted to so and so so and so has converted to so and so but again it just seems to be a lobby of people trying to get kudos for something which hasn't happened just to say at the end that their belief system is more supreme than someone trying to find something for themselves you you have to un- understand that how 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 curious and uh, how dare I say spicy this story is yep so the story goes that neil armstrong when he stepped on the moon he looked towards the earth here yes and he saw a light coming from uh, where exactly uh, mecca is <laughs> yep and at at that moment he heard the azan the muslim call to prayer it's a vacuum over there you can't cannot hear anything yeah yes 
and then he when he came back to uh, and uh, i don't know after how much time or years or months he heard the same call again yes and then he and then he asked what is this he says muslim call to prayer and it's okay i i heard this call to prayer on the moon yep so he converted to islam in secrecy because the us government forced him to never reveal these facts <laughs> that, that islam was the truth yep i guess most people will have this question especially the sikh youth living in the west if they could say that the guru granth sahib justifies science why is it now that some people have started saying that you know guru granth sahib tells us to liberate ourselves to find gyan and you know when when we get to this gyan question suddenly becomes interesting that the people who have only a few years ago were saying that nasa uses the guru granth sahib to justify science suddenly they are saying that you know science is of no use to the sikhs now i don't know how they justify the u-turn but essentially this again brings us back to that fundamental question what is the relationship between a religion like sikhi and science because from a certain perspective like you know pak pipa ji shabad jo brahman jo khoje soi pende you know those who seek they discover from within them now most people will say that this is only related to a spiritual perspective but essentially when we look at it through you know gurbani through guru nanak dev ji's lenses which he has provided essentially from japti sahib onwards that shabad really becomes that there is intelligence within you use that intelligence to you know uh i guess make what is around you better or to make it progress so if that is what gurbani is ultimately saying then how come we are saying that one of those tools science which basically means the collection of knowledge to make our own lives easier suddenly how come science is being derided so much there is a strong reason because uh, if if people started to follow science and all of your sakis they go up in smoke so basically and, we can say that like you know there is a basic philosophy uh, a philosopher's maxim that the slave who knows he's a slave can essentially liberate himself from the bond of, uh, from the chains of slavery So because, yeah because the seed can be sown and uh, it doesn't matter how much time will it take for it to grow into a proper tree the seed yes. has to be sown Yep and so I guess when Guru Nanak Dev ji says you know this world is a mirror for you know the divine attributes pretty much and studying those attributes in nature that must consist of following a scientific line Well, I can't answer this because I, I think I do not exactly know enough about this topic. So yes. sorry, I'm coming from it. Yes, but I guess that's one of those questions which will be emerging in the future. Quite a lot of Sikhs will be trying to comprehend that as well because I mean, look, we are brought up on tales of the supernatural, on tales of miracles, but then suddenly when we see the western world, those of us who have grown grown up here, but let's take India for example. India is rapidly progressing day by day. We know there's going to be a time in 2050 years when India might be the next USA. And at that time right. people will be, you know, utilizing science and there will be a religious lobby who will feel that they have been left behind you know that there will be fundamentalism and quite a lot of problems and essentially someone's going to ask a question that if religion was everything then how come you guys have been left behind and at that time they will surely have a problem trying to justify scientific advances through their text because people will be asking if you knew this through your scriptures how come you guys didn't get there first Well, that's a, that's a straight question that will never be answered. But in in 
from a personal point of view, you can ask this question to yourself. Mm-hmm. I've woken up because I've set up an alarm on my cell phone. Cell phone came from science, not religion. Yep. So I'll wake up, uh, I'll take shower. The hot water Just... comes from science, not religion. Yep. I'll go to work when in my car, the car which comes from science, not religion. Yes. All my food comes from science, not religion. Yes. My clothes come from science, not religion. Yes. So at the end of the day, when you are surrounded by science 100%, wouldn't that encourage people to totally leave religion? Mm-hmm. And that's, I guess, where we would have to redefine Sikhi from a religion to a way of life, but a way of life which essentially emphasizes liberation of the mind. It does not hold those predictions, which is said to be a Nessa, like what they were saying about Nessa a few years back. But essentially, it says liberate your mind, liberate your brain, use those manics, use those priceless, countless jewels to progress further in the world. And then, then there will be a lobby of religious people, religious Sikhs, who will have to confront the fact that what they were saying about Nessa and anything else they will surely have to confront the fact that this is a fallacy. This was never true. And I mean, today, just now, I finished reading a little excerpt from a Sikh blog saying that uh, back in the day when Guru Gobind Singh Ji wrote the Sarblog Grant. Now, I'm not saying that whether the Guru has written it or not written it, we won't go there. But Guru Gobind Singh Ji wrote the Sarblog Grant and in there he predicted the coronavirus because the coronavirus had been used on demon demons when they were battling Chandi by another uh, subsection of demons or something along those lines. And that and that Guru Gobind Singh Ji had a mantra in the Sarablo Grant, which is a cure for the coronavirus. Now, if Guru Gobind Singh Ji had predicted all this and that this uh, the, the pandemic was going to happen in 2020, why didn't we warn the world about it? You know, and when in the that question was the Spanish flu, so is there any reference to the Spanish flu in Sarablo Grant? <laughs> that killed no. much more people comparatively. Yep. Well, I mean, nothing like that, but leaving aside what's real or what's not, I mean, if they say that, then there's surely going to be that question, well, hey, wait a second, if you guys knew this was coming, why didn't you warn the world, you know, I mean, why didn't you print this mantra out and distribute it to people and say, hey, look, there's a virus which is going to be coming soon, we need to be careful, let's shield ourselves with this. Why is it that when this virus has entered uh, its second or third or even fifth and seventh consecutive waves throughout the globe, why is it only then that you're saying, hey, wait a second, we knew about this so uh, such a long time ago. And then, you know, I guess the essential question is, well, why did you do jack shit about it? <laughs> well, the question, the question is correct. And also, there's a challenge for them today. Take out that whatever that mantra is, bring it to the world and cure the virus. Because, I mean, I remember when I was younger, uh, there was, you know, someone on stage and they were saying that science is useless, science is stuck, science doesn't know that, you know, what's in black holes. And there must have been a nine-year-old kid, his uh, parents were um, astronomers and, you know, scientific-minded families, their kids, there will be that generation which confirmed to the stereotype of no at all. And the kid puts up his hand and this is actually in a Gurdwara falling to the, fall to the brim. And, you know, the guy on the stage turns around and asks, oh, well, what's up, kid? Why are you doing this? And the kid says, well, do you know what's in black holes? And he says, no. And everyone just burst out laughing. Well, it, the, the very fact that uh, he knew that black holes existed uh, are the result of science and scientific knowledge. <clears throat> so it's an, it's an own goal. Yep. And when we come to another 
another really uh, conspicuous issue nowadays in the West is we have anti-vaxxers, we have people claiming the coronavirus is a conspiracy, we have people saying global warming is a hoax, you know, everything like this which we can sum up as post-truth. Now, this is essentially all science denial. And when science denial, I guess when people woke up to what is science denial back in uh, the 90s, when this global warming uh, phenomena actually became quite conspicuous, you know, people were saying, look, we have a problem here. Weather patterns are rapidly changing or escalating. The Earth has been through this before, but we didn't have humans, you know, trying to master nature at the time. And we can master nature, but we need to be careful. You know, we need to take those baby steps, be cautious, consider what we are doing. Now, at that time, quite a lot of uh, corporations who were basically relying on pollution to make a buck, they started bringing over scientific experts, like people who they sponsor to sit on TV and claim that, you know, science, the link between global warming and pollution is quite uh, evidential. There is no solid evidence for it. Basically, they were playing on words, and essentially, we had a generation of science denial come up, and from there on forward, we have reached the stage today where people are saying, well, look, vaccines, which are mandatory to save lives, we won't take that as well. And why is it that when someone, like when a corporation does it, people wake up and say, wait, wait, you guys have a profit in this. But when a religious person denies science, why is it then that it becomes a matter of political correctness? why can't we confront them and say well why are you denying science you know why are you denying the evidential system which is in front of us because people who are are religious are not very educated and can be easily manipulated so they can be used in any way the the people in power want so the very first thing is votes the very first thing is votes because you have to remember when in 2016 when donald trump ran for the presidency you know mm. what his his lifestyle was towards the entire life. He was essentially a playboy, yeah. Yes. But as, as his running mate, he chose he chose a fundamentalist Christian, Mike Pence. Okay. Yep. So the people in power, they will do anything to stay in power. So on <laughs> on one side you have Donald Trump. <clears throat> yep. The person who who says his, his favorite book is Bible, but couldn't name a single single sentence from the Bible. Yes. And then you have his running mate, Mike Pence, a fundamentalist Christian, who wouldn't <laughs> even have a meal or even a single drink with another woman unless his wife is present in the room. Uh, I guess. So, I guess when you say religious people are uneducated, that might be a sore sticking point. Are we trying to say religious minded people here who are so steeped in their. Um, in their, I guess, in their belief system or what that belief system is being made out to be. Like we can say fundamentalist people, are you referring to them or are you just pretty much saying religious minded people in general who place religion above, I guess, uh, anything else in the world? Well, well this is, this is the statement might be sore to digest, but uh, I would say people who would still think that somewhere outside this world there is a supernatural power sitting who is watching every move I make. So if, if you still believe that, that, I think there is something mentally wrong with you. And I guess this also brings us back to the life of the Sikh Gurus. If you looked at the Gurus, they pretty much did everything they did themselves. If you look at Guru Gobind Singh Ji, you know, who doesn't have respect for Guru Gobind Singh Ji? You know, sacrificing your family, fighting, warring. But, you know, whenever I think about Guru Gobind Singh Ji in Machiwari the jungle, he's sleeping on the thorns. 
He's, you know, pretty much using a, his shield as a pillow. His clothes are torn, tattered, his feet are bloody. Most of his armor is gone. And I'm guessing he must have been injured as well, you know, because a warrior will be injured. He doesn't have his army with him. You know, he's got, he's pretty much got a national political system who's behind him, who just wants to behead him, finish him off. He's enemy number one at the time. Yet he never relied on any supernatural powers, did he? He actually traversed the jungle. He went around collecting allies. He went around, you know, sneaking through enemy cordons, enemy presence. He actually rallied his men again and he fought back like the true warrior he was. You know, we have the Fatenama, we have the Zafarnama. It shows his spirit isn't lost. Even though in the Zafarnama he refers to a part, you know, where uh, when I have taken the uh, refuge of a great tiger, what should I fear? And he's saying that God is a great tiger, but at the same time, he's actually willing to fight to stand up for himself. And it's that sense of confidence of doing something individually, independently, which empowers him to say that God is on my side, because if God does something himself, he's also empowered me to do something myself. I'm not relying on anyone else other than me. You also have to remember that uh, during the siege of Anadabal Sahib, yes, no miracles occurred. It wasn't Nothing. like uh, there were bags of food growing on trees or there were langar falling from the sky or something. Yes, that, nothing like that at all. And if you look at oh. Banda Singh Bahadur's life, you look at Anwab Kapoor Singh, you, you come down the, to that track. Now you look at Vadag Talukara, they say that you know most of the Sikh nation was wiped out instantly. No miracles happened there. Those people took a cue from Gurbani that we need to individually do something ourselves, liberate ourselves intellectually. And if you look at it, Nwab Kapoor Singh made a whole Sikh Republic during his lifetime. And he did that straight from Gurbani. He was he was a true and firm Gursik. So that brings us back to another issue. The definition of Gurbani isn't it's a miraculous time. You read it like a mantra and you know your sins get washed away. It teaches you how to live in a dignified and uh, independent way. It does indeed. And uh, I, I find it quite unfortunate <clears throat> that uh, well, it, it might, this might be a bit incendiary, that, but Gurbani is essentially being used as a, as a tuna or, ma, or a mantra. Yes, and if you look at Gurbani itself, if you read it, look at Anga 326, that's by Pakht Kabirji, and he's asking a Pandit a question. You know, the Pandit, obviously it must be that the Pandit, you know, there must have been a myth around creation which Pakht Kabirji is, you know, taking apart. The stars in the sky, who painted them? Tell me, Pandit, what what in the sky oh what is the sky spotted by they who did use the reality behind the beyond this enigma are very fortunate the sun and the moon continue to eliminate the creator's creativeness is present in the universe and when he says that people who did use the reality beyond the enigma he's obviously talking about people who go out step outside the box think independently do not let anything cloud their minds and follow the truth and they're very fortunate indeed because let's take a example here he said sky now the sky we know there is something called gravity and the sky is not spotted by any pillars or bulls and a man like isaac newton who discovered gravity one little discovery newton probably didn't even think about airplanes but from his discovery look where we have reached up to now essentially in an age where the pandemic has pretty much torn the world apart 
we are still using aeroplanes to convey much needed necessities to people in a few hours time rather than the time it would take by ships. And that's all because of science, because a few centuries ago somebody decided I gotta find answers to this question by myself. Yes, and that's what Bhakt Kabiruji is essentially saying to the Pandit that why should we believe what you're saying when we have our own brains and minds? And I guess it also takes a special certain type of man. I guess that's what the Sikh Gurus aim to do. They aim to make a society of these certain type of men and women who would question and who would not, you know, stand and say, oh, well, this feels right to me. I will accept this. No, they would question everything and find the truth behind it. And this was the Khalsa. Yep. We are primarily based on rationality and practicality. Yes, rather than, I guess, any, uh, well, I mean, the Khalsa has been stereotyped solely as a military body, hasn't it? But if you look at it the effort, been. the work of nearly two centuries, which went into its formation and ratification, you see pretty much that it's something more than just a military body. It's almost like a new civilization if it expands, you know, it sort of just alters everything we believe about ourselves, our world and the relation of relationship to, you know, the human individual. Well, essentially that would mean in today's world is that uh, you, you, you don't limit, you limit yourself to weapons only. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's essentially what has been done, unfortunately. We are Khalsa, we are fighters, that's it. Your mental capacity has been erased. Yes. And uh, one of the things Sardar Kapoor Singh used to say, now I know he was a controversial figure, but one of the things he used to say, uh, this was in London or Canada, I think they asked him, what is the Khalsa? And he said, it's a, it's a aristocracy and also a meritocracy of self-empowered individuals who are not only soldiers, they're politicians, they're scientists, they're intellectuals. And he just summed it up straight away in such a beautiful way that the Khalsa is just more than a military body. It's a body which pursues Gyan, Sansari Gyan, scientific Gyan, and more than scientific Gyan for the betterment of the world because it believes that humans are on par with the, have an equal stake in creation, I should say, alongside their creator. If we ask uh, a very important question, <clears throat> let's imagine, let's, let's just imagine. Yes. Bhabanda Singh had continued to rule for, let's say, another 20 or 30 years. Yes. Because he was the last person who actually met and stayed with Guru Gobind Singh. Yes. So they must have had a lot of conversations, you know, trying to understand what exactly it is that Guru Gobind Singh envisioned. Yes. And then he was sent to Punjab on a mission, yeah? Yes. So if he had continued to rule, what would have become of us today? Mm. Would we fundamentally sort of religious zealots? we would have formed a very advanced scientific society mm. and i guess when we are talking about science here it's just more than science we're not saying science of the chemistry type or the biological type we're talking about political science social sciences all yeah, types yeah, of yeah. science pretty much because yeah. science is the collection of you know knowledge so this is just more than a what we deduce stereotypical science to be this is more about you know human progress from all uh, angles yeah, our chemistry shouldn't stop at gunpowder. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, chemistry shouldn't stop at gunpowder. You're right. 
And I guess from the religious lobby, the way religion has been made now, especially Sikhi. I remember a particular uh, conversation I had with a friend in New Jersey. His name is Adam Summerson. He's actually listening to this, or I believe he is. That's what he told me. Now, Adam's dad was actually part of a tobacco research institute, and his dad told Adam this before he died, that back in 1953 at the Plaza Hotel in New York, if I remember correctly, public relations manager John Hill was called by the tobacco companies, and they said, look, there is a religious lobby uh, opposing tobacco. The government is, the scientists are, what do we do? And John Hill got up and said, oh, well, our product isn't tobacco, our product is doubt. So he started this uh, tobacco research industry uh, committee. And what this committee did was that they just started funding pseudoscience to say there is no conclusive link between tobacco smoking and cancer. Now, ultimately, in 1998, several documents were disclosed by the successor to this committee, which proved that they knew all along that, you know, cancer and smoking is linked. But they had a $200 million lawsuit, which actually prevented them from legal repercussions. But it just went to show how deeply enmeshed uh, human vices are, you know, particularly of selfishness and greed, that this committee was able to corrupt leading scientists of the day, or some of them, to bring them over to their side and say, hey, wait a minute, no, cigarettes do not cause cancer. And we had that 30, 40 year, time period from the 60s to the 90s to the early 2000s where people were dismissing cancer until suddenly in 2001 it was established that smoking is a paramount cause of cancer now john hill isn't alive anymore but he had such a beautiful strategy doubt as a product he did it in an organized way but when you look at the religious lobby they don't they just need to say it and even scientists will suddenly start jumping that way saying oh well wait a second this is our belief. We can't exchange our belief. We can't supplant it with uh, supplant it with rationalism. And I guess there, I just have had a question just now from an individual who's listening to this. What can be done about that when religion uh, religion creates doubt about science? When religion's foremost product becomes doubt? Well, it all always ha- has been doubt and blind belief. So I would add blind belief to it. Hmm. Because that's that essentially what faith is, just believe me without evidence. Mm-hmm. So to try to answer your question, what can be done about it? I think the only strict way is education and rationality in your personal life. Yes. Because, and because the decision I will take in my own life, it might affect the next generation, my children. Hmm. Because if I'm practical and if I live my life without the intervention of religion in me, there isn't much chance that my children will follow the religious path. Yes, and or, as the way, the, or the way it is preached. Mm. And as a summary, I guess we can say that essentially science is a tool which religion derides. Uh, on the other hand, if you look at it, great scientists have believed in God like Isaac Newton, but as he wrote in his Principal, Volume 3, that the God of the church cannot be the God who's actually made such a perfect system called creation, you know, the planets, gravity and all that. So pretty much what we are saying in summary is that in Sikhi, if you call Sikhi a religion, it isn't a conventional religion. It is a liberating religion which says let's liberate your intellectualism and then you progress forward in the world. So the question of Sikhi denying science should not arise in the first place pretty much. Well, uh, well, you are correct in, in that sense, but 
the way the people who claim Sikhi to be their monopoly today, they are the issue, I think. Because if, mm. if, you, if you think about it, if you talk about any so-called Baba or, or, or the Jathedar or anything, yes, they have a legitimate stake in this issue. And I guess that's like Guru Nanak Dev Ji says in Asadivar that there are people who pretend they are learned but they do not know the reality, they mislead other people. And these people are being misled, they are victims, yes. But these victims should actually start thinking for themselves by observation. That's what Guru Nanak Dev Ji says in Asadivar. He's talking about empowering people to liberate themselves and observe the truth all around in life. Which unfortunately we seem to be denying this very potent uh, principle of Guru Nanak Dev Ji. What we are saying is that, well, no, Baba Nanak wasn't the intellectual, a practical intellectual who liberated the world. Baba Nanak pretty much, you know, just became the wind to travel wherever he wanted to. Baba Nanak placed his hand on a, you know, someone on a child's eyes and he took him through all these heavens and hells, all these underworlds all over the place. We have made Guru Nanak into a mythical figure pretty much. And Guru Nanak also traveled on a fish. <laughs> yes, that's another one. Guru Nanak Dev Ji traveled on a fish. But then <laughs> when you read Guru Nanak Dev Ji's words, a very different Guru Nanak Dev Ji emerges. And I guess this is uh, something I remember a few years back. I can't really remember his name. He was a preacher. What they said was that pretty much it went something like this for Punjabi audiences. And I guess it's pretty much back to the basics for us. So people who are listening to this, Dharam in Sikhi is very different from the religion which we have conventionally. And more so when we read Gurbani and deduce the real Gurus rather than the Gurus of the Janam Sakis, Gurus who liberated the world and posited on the way of truth and gave it that sense of independence to find out things for itself. Uh, <clears throat> I have a question for you. Yes. Does Sikhi gives a definite answer to our age of age-old question, who we are, where we come from, what happened to us when we die? I guess if you look at it from one matter, where we come from, Gurbani says that, you know, Akal Purak has created this world and we are a part of that world pretty much. Now, when we die, we have that Shabad, Pavaneme uh, Pavan Samaya. Now, the way I see that Shabad pretty much is this, that when we die, the air we breathe goes back into the oxygen that, you know, is universally around us. The light yep. through which we see the world dead pretty much goes back into the light which is always around us. Essentially speaking, after we die, where we go from my perspective, it's pretty much that the person who understands reality, that the meaning of life is to further the progress of life, I guess, you know, further creation in a positive manner. That individual, when they die, their memory pretty much ensures that, you know, their self-perception is existent, their soul is existent, and they continue inspiring through memory. Otherwise, I don't believe that there is any special heaven and hell for, you know, infidels or something along those lines where people go and burn. And nor do I believe that, you know, Sikhi favors reincarnation. You have a life, you do something, yes, you're remembered. You don't, you're pretty much extinguished. That's it. 
So when Siki gives such a beautiful description, I would say, then there should be, shouldn't be any doubt in any Sikh's mind that, uh, the, that Siki is not opposed to science. There are no definite answers when you die, there's, there's going to be a judgment day. No. None at all. And this is what I was actually <clears throat> thinking about. All these criminals we have in the world, for God, for such a supreme being, it's just as easy as extinguishing their self-perception and that's it. They are gone. We remember them in a very negative way. But when we have, you know, individuals who have done something good, like, you know, for example, let's just take Guru Gobind Singh Ji. You know, Guru Gobind Singh Ji is alive in our minds, in our hearts. He still continues to, you know, inspire us pretty much. But then when you look at Aurangzeb, Aurangzeb doesn't inspire us. If he does inspire us, he pretty much, it's like that story from Birbal and Akbar. Akbar asked Birbal where he learned common sense from and he said by uh, watching idiots. And Akbar started laughing and saying, oh, well, how did you learn common sense from idiots? And he said, oh, I just didn't do what they did. <laughs> well, that, that's a correct answer. Yep. So there is that as well. But then on the other hand, if you say that, you know, religion can only be uh, justified as being real if it tells us what happens in the afterlife, well, someone's going to actually ask, well, why can't we see what happens in the afterlife? You know, why can't the majority of the world see what happens in the afterlife? Why are we only believing a book which says this is what happens in the <clears throat> afterlife? What impartial evidence do you have outside your books to convince us that those books are real because of what they state? Uh, I'll give you an example, and I think yes. uh, it, it's quite a funny one. Yep. The story of Noah, yeah? Mm-hmm. Noah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. took one from each species, or a couple from each species. Yes. And he saved the life on Earth, yes, or so called this way. Yep. So, can you imagine 3,000 years ago or 2,000 years ago, somebody who is a storyteller? Yes. <clears throat> Sorry. So, he sees a shepherd trying to save his flock of putting yep. them on a boat and taking them to the other side of the river. Yep. And he said, hmm, interesting plot. I must write a story about it. <laughs> yes. And then he was taken seriously. <laughs> and I guess there would have been people who would have been thinking about the logistics. Those logistics would be mind-boggling trying to do something like that. But then essentially you couldn't question it because, hey, it was religion. Yeah, because uh, there, there is no mention of kangaroos on the ark. <laughs> when uh, we were younger, I, we I used don't to know. Think... I didn't know Australia existed, or maybe the kangaroos lived in the Middle East in those times. And I guess well, one of the things we used to see when we were younger were paintings of this incident, and they used to depict two male lions going into the. <laughs> I've seen those. I've seen. Yep. And, well, you know, we were... not going to work, sir. You have to get a female one. And we were at a Catholic school, and uh, one of the teachers, well, I pointed it out to one of the teachers, and he said, "Oh well, God said at the time, good luck breeding those lions." <laughs> <laughs> And I guess so, basically to round off now at the moment to conclude, I guess, because it has been quite a few minutes now since we've been going on. But, yep, essentially speaking, you know, on this, Sikhi isn't a conventional religion. It does not take conventional principles and sticks to them. It's basically intended to to liberate the man, to liberate an individual and posit them on the way of self-discovery both internally and externally and ultimately belief in the supernatural is not a part of Sikhi pretty much and we have already discussed why there's the time-space continuum theory and everything like that so science should in no way conflict with Sikhi 
And this is quite crucial in a time, especially today, where everyone's asking, well, what is religion doing to cure the coronavirus other than, you know, deriding science? And ultimately, people are saying that the coronavirus has come about due to science, but the cure too will come out of science. But let's just remember, science emanates from our brains, from our intelligence. And this brings us back to the same point, Jo Koje, Soi Pave, those who search, they discover. And essentially, from a Sikh perspective, science is not conflictual with religion. No, it's not at all. Uh, I'd like to give a statement in the end that uh, what Sikhi has become today and what our gurus preached, these are two very, very different things. Yes. So you can have an counterpart if uh, somebody is sick. You can have an counterpart if you want to get some favors in the coat from uh, the supernatural. Mm-hmm. You can have a <clears throat> uh, you can have a counterpart to score good in your examinations. Mm-hmm. So this is what has become, and uh, that's of course totally anti-science. But if you, if you follow what our gurus preach and what all the pagats in the in the guru Granth Sahib preach, that's exactly pro-science mm-hmm. science is just you seeking knowledge and trying to discover what's around you how things work why do they work this way why not that way you know mm-hmm. and so i guess this is something that, yep. that's there in Sikhi. and i guess you know seeing your history of the past 20 30 years lots of Sikh professors and intellectuals compare us with israel but then if you look at Israel, I mean, I've met quite a lot of Israeli Israelites myself. I think that's the correct term, uh, you know, Jewish people. And I'm just amazed by the fact that, you know, currently when the first lockdown transpired in Israel, alongside foodstuffs and all the essentials of life, there are bookstores rapidly emptied out and people were grabbing books on science, kits on science, essentially saying, well, hey, some of us are going to try, you know, providing temporary relief for neighbors afflicted by the coronavirus by ourselves. And it's just that, you know, spirit of self-liberation, that independence, which makes them stand out so thoroughly. But we Sikhs don't have that. I mean, Ardas, when we do Ardas, we should be saying, Sache Pacha, please give us the strength, the gyan, the power to go forwards. Now, this is what happened at the end of the Vadaka Lukara, you know, that evening in the Punjab, thousands of Sikhs dead, mothers crying, children, you know, brutally massacred. My ancestors were in that massacre. One of my ancestors survived that massacre. He lost his entire family in there. And from his oral tradition, what we as a family deduce is at the end, this is what they did. They did their herasab. Yes, through pain, you learn. Pain is the panacea to all ills. And from there, the ardas they did that night was pretty much this. Sache Padsha, Asi Tere Agge Ardaas Kardeya, Hath Jodri Karke Benti Kardeya, Sanu Gyan Baksh, Sanu Shakti Baksh, Sanu Taakt Baksh, Ki Asi Hon Veri Da Fer Mopaniye, Ta Ithe Or Aaj Liaiye, Jithe Ekadi Itada Hovaina. And if you look at that, this, those leaders pretty much lost quite a lot. We are talking about 70 to 80% of Sikhs at the time, pretty much massacred in a matter of nine to ten hours and for them to say that and not say how much would they have been connected with Sikhi how steeped in Sikh law for them to you know do a ardas like that that give us round two if 
if I remember the, the number that's provided is like 30,000 in a day mm-hmm. for massacre. There is a difference, but we can't deny that quite a massive amount of Sikhs, you know, the Sikh population took a massive hit at the time. But for them to still, you know, do a ardas like that, based on what my ancestor relayed down the generations, it's just amazing. We we don't do ardas like that. I mean, we fail in a test down here, and that's it. Sachepacha, Krizma Koidikade, no one does that all. Sachepacha, can you please empower me to go for, you know, a second resetting or something like this? And even people who study hard, they will just pretty much say, oh, Sachepacha did a Krizma. The Krizma is you using your brain, Sachepacha empowering you to do that. Not Sachepacha, you know, coming along and just coming into your body and writing the answers down himself while you do jack all. <laughs> I'm just sitting here just moving my hands and somebody else is moving my yep, hands. Yeah, pretty much. And I guess at the end of the day, now that we are on 56 minutes and Anchor only allows a 60-minute recording, this was our first podcast and this was uh, Navjeet Singh with me. So I guess what we both have pretty much reached together, and I guess Navjeet will agree as well, is that you know there should be no conflict between Sikhi and science. Sikhs should actually be actively encouraged to take part in science. It does not conflict with their faith. And at the end of the day, if we need to progress, we need to... See, look, we are so lucky to have a faith which actually empowers us to pursue science, you know? Other faiths aren't like that. How would a Christian explain evolution? How would a Muslim explain the fact that, you know, the Milky Way is more varied than seven, you know, planets or like that Neil Armstrong story you relate to me, you know? Yet we still don't partake of our faith like we should, like our gurus wanted us to. We just go the opposite way. Do you think we need we need to reach a certain stage in our societal development as a Sikh, and then only we can move towards uh, you know science? Because even today, a lot of people, not most of Sikhs, live in villages, and then they're not particularly educated or they're not particularly curious about the world. And I guess at the end, now with that, we have reached a conclusion. All the Sikhs, all the youth, particularly listening to this in the West. That is up to them to relate the technology back in the pens. Ona nohi dasna pena ki iddadi soch si sade guru maharaj di to si bi iddadi soch rakho apne aap nu liberate karo to si dharm to hor cheeza di gulami to to agge badho. That is the message that that should be there and uh, it's up to us uh, the young people who are going to be the future of the city. And, that, and it's up to us in which direction we take Sikhi. And that's ultimately all we can say, that we can do our best and be what we want others to be then. Thank you for your time. Oh, it was an interesting conversation. Thank, Thank you. Thank you very much. Wahe Guruji Ka Khalsa, Wahe Guruji Ki Fateh. See you all next week. <laughs>